it's part of the problem in regards to nostalgia for colonialism also motivated by the fact that there was no broad reckoning with the consequences of colonialism in the United Kingdom after the era of decolonization. The United Kingdom never came to grips, for example, with the kinds of human rights problems that were associated with its imperialist projects. Like my parents grew up under British military rule in Palestine and I've never heard them speak more poorly of another country. I can imagine that the discourse was similar to how the British are spoken of in Ireland, for example. I can't help but imagine, and, and this is something that I thought continuously throughout the Brexit process, that the United Kingdom clearly has not processed its post-colonial anxieties properly, and that Nigel Farage and UKIP and believers found a way to channel those unresolved issues into a rejection of Europe and a portrayal of Europe as a colonial hegemon that had subsumed the United Kingdom within itself. Yeah, I, I think it, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah, there hasn't been... We can we can talk about like problems in the education system with regard to this. I think that's fairly obvious. None of us were taught about this stuff. I think you're right about there was no kind of colonial reckoning. The closest that you have to that would probably be the Suez Crisis, but that doesn't really count in a way. No, it doesn't. It doesn't, you know. But that's kind of closest you get and even when you think of the troubles in Ireland which kind of fits with that it still it didn't have that impact it was just perceived as what are these people doing they're just setting up bombs for no reason how dare they (laughs) (laughs) one can't help but think that the war on terror also reignited colonial longings given the degree to which the American-led war forced European partners to participate and reinvade former colonial holdings such as Iraq. I certainly see in Europe when I encounter far-right politics and particularly far-right racism in Europe, I certainly can sense a certain nostalgia for a way of discriminating against minorities that hadn't been accepted in a very long time, You know, especially the 13 years I've lived in Germany with the way that Germans often treat Muslims, you cannot disassociate that from historical anti-Semitism. And so that's why I wonder about the British example. It's difficult yeah, sure. in the UK. It's very yeah. hard. It's difficult, yeah. 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 I, I'm actually curious to know if anyone in the audience has any opinions on, on some of the topics that we've just been raising. To what extent, Josh, do you think that the, that the various sort of circles and groups that make up the British elites, or the circles of power which are themselves antagonistic to each other sometimes, but the archipelago of media, political parties, machinery, actually have the slightest clue about what's going on. I mean, I'm, par- I'm partly thinking of Peter Mayer's thesis about ruling the void and the gap between ruling elites, the media. You know, you sometimes think these people actually... Yeah. You know, I like the idea that there'd be someone running the shop, wouldn't you? You like the idea that there's some adults, like, kind of like looking after it, and then you sort of think, actually... Does anyone, and even, even to be less denigratory, even if we ignore the obvious buffoons, I get the impression, including lots of highly educated people who are, or who are conventionally regarded as, you know, top minds, don't actually understand what is going on at all, or, or at least only minimally. I mean, that's an impression I get. I don't know if, what you think. Do you want me to limit this just to politicians? Or? <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. Um, I th- I, again, it connects with points that I, I have already made, I think, in that 
there's a lot of people who are invested in certain narratives and there's there's ideology ideological frameworks at work definitely um so people only see kind of things which are already convenient with their own interests um or they're inclined to just dismiss anything that kind of contravenes or you know anything that contradicts their worldview really um does our political class really know what's going on some of them probably do <laughs> i think um i think there's a lot of there's probably a lot of misrecognition going on at the same time um some of them know what's going on and probably don't care. I suspect Boris Johnson's in that category. Um, and even if he did care, he's, he's, he's actually a very incompetent human being anyway. So <laughs> um, it's the mistake with him is to think that he's he's a buffoon. He's a he's a genius disguised as a buffoon. No, he's a buffoon disguised as a genius disguised as a buffoon. <laughs> <laughs> but the buffoonery is still a shtick, right? Up to a point, yeah, up to yeah. a point, he messes his hair up and everything. Right. Yeah. Well, he does it to like a hairdresser. He just gave him no gear. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently. Well, Apparently. But I, maybe I can maybe I can give a, a little bit of a, a my take on, on on your question. I mean, I I joined the Foreign Office State from university, um, and went straight into that world, straight into the. And Lynn, you remember we were students, and we so we and we were together in in Moscow, and I was in the embassy in uh, there. And it was this really comfortable world. I, I genuinely believe that the, the diplomats, the civil servants were doing a great job. I mean, they were smart people on top of their subjects, you know, really trying to do, trying to represent the UK abroad, but to facilitate trade and, in my case, to promote human rights and, you know, to, to kind of fight the good fight and, and representing this, this great, you know, United Kingdom. I'm feeling very proud to be British. But I left after four years because I felt like I could, it was like I couldn't breathe in, in that environment. It was very, you know, what do you call it, like calcified, if, if you like. Um, and the longer I was out of it, the more I could see that it was kind of inflexible and didn't really, like we say, didn't really understand or reflect the UK as it, as it was, as, as it actually is. Um, so I think you've definitely got those circles and, you know, they get their MBEs and their OBEs just for doing what I can do, just for doing a job, you know, but, but, and, it, and it's kind of self-perpetuating. Yes. Um, and that, I think, is what we've seen a little bit, you know, it's kind of, you know, scratch the surface of that. And I, and I also do think in terms of the royalty, the system, the monarchy is is very intertwined uh, with that as well. Um, and I think that, for, for me, has been pretty revealing. Um, yeah, over this last few, especially since the, the death of the Queen and, and you know, Charles and uh, uh, Camilla coming uh, to the throne. I think it's it's kind of, yeah, there's just a little bit of things that start to peel away a bit. And, and what you see and it's not looking that great. We've got some more hands up. <laughs> what lady behind here? Yeah, um, I just want to say thanks, Josh. And you know, it's a great evening, and it's a privilege to be here and to to understand a bit more about this network. I just come at this bit of the discussion from a slightly different angle, and I think that you know, when Josh, you talk about the kind of emotional component of you know despair that, you know, drove lots and lots of people to not vote at all or maybe even vote against their kind of instincts, if you like, around Brexit. I mean, I think that there, you know, if you eavesdrop 
ethnographically, Joel, you talk about, you know, ethnographic um, journalism, you know, if you eavesdrop on the bus, and I travel on the bus a lot, then um, there is this kind of longing, this, you know, you talk about nostalgia, there's this longing for when, you know, Britain was great, and that kind of gets enmeshed with a kind of, you know, moral panic about everything, you know, from the state of the young to, you know, trans stuff and yeah. everything. And I think all of this kind of stuff gets meshed together to really, I mean, I think on the other hand, I mean, there are lots and lots of young people, I think, who are kind of desperately kind of trying to, you know, make an intervention in this and, you know, through, but then, you know, the education system and the media is against them, kind of, you know, erecting brick wall after brick wall, kind of preventing um, the introduction of any kind of critical take on um, Britain's kind of colonial past yeah. in the school curriculum. Yeah. So um, I'm not quite sure what I'm saying there, but I think that there is this kind of deep kind of longing for some kind of security in a kind of mythical, nostalgic notion of, you know, Britain's glorious past that, you know, has nothing to do... That, that, that then, you know, people like Boris Johnson feed into. Yeah. Just to answer a little bit on that is, you know, having worked in, in the Foreign Office and, and also in Brussels, there there is, well, there was, a genuine respect for um, British foreign policy, for British civil service, for kind of work ethic and, 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 and so on genuinely uh, a respect and and you know the irony is that the uk really was a leader in the in the eu and, and setting most of the pace and uh, the, the the policy and i don't think that has necessarily all gone you know when we when we talk to colleagues uh, you know continental colleagues they have a great uh, respect and fondness for the uk a lot of them were educated here as well so, you know, I, I think we shouldn't beat ourselves up too much and you know, feel so, so bad about ourselves and, and, and so ashamed over the last few years because I think they're, they're ready to, to welcome us with, with open arms when, when we're ready to, I think, understand ourselves and, and recognise the kind of society we are and, and re, almost re, re, regain our, our values. I, I don't think we've lost them. I used to say to my husband very often, we're a very tolerant nation. And he would say, you're not. <laughs> but we are. And, and it would go back and forth. But when I went home the last time, uh, and it was for a family funeral, and I had a, all of my uncles and cousins there, and they were chatting about Brexit, about Boris Johnson, about Keir Starmer. And I was so surprised and overwhelmed at how there was this kind of, common sense yeah you know they're not doing a great job you know and i don't know why we've got all this racism now because you know we're not having any of that are we i mean what that's not what's that about and you know when's keir starmer going to kind of get off the pot and and start to make things better but there was this very kind of basic no nonsense we're better than this kind of thing so i I do have hope. <laughs> so do I, because it's not, the situation isn't, there's not just like an inexorable, irresistible, whatever to call it, kind of. Decline. Yeah, decline's <laughs> one phrase, if you'd like that. <laughs> or kind of uh, circling at the drain, or, I don't know, self-inflicted downward spiral. <laughs> Again, the, there's a lot to play for, for lack of a better phrase, because 
precisely because there's so much cynicism and so much anger with the political class and the media system mm. is so clearly out of I mean that's one of the reasons we set up because it, there was most the we were so frustrated with the British media over the whole Brexit period I mean it was just unbelievable how badly they, they failed